All right, well, let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three. I want to welcome all the kids who are with us this morning. Kids, it's great to have you here. Uh, If you are here, uh, kids, I want to just remind you of a couple of rules. Anyone remember the rules? Anyone? Yes, young man. Yes, we want you to uh, work on listening, which precludes talking. Those, Those are mutually exclusive most of the time. Um, And so we want you to focus on what's being said. I'm going to give you some uh, drawings to complete. Uh, And if you do a good job, if your parents believe you did a good job, we'll have a prize to give you at the end. So really glad to have you. I want to now invite the kids and adults alike to listen with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love. The reading today upon which the the teaching is based comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. Hear now these words. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and the people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, and I recognize that as we come here, uh, we do now, no doubt come from all sorts of different places. Some of us come in here and our lives are going very well. Things are falling into place. Uh, we are happy and healthy Uh, and looking forward to what is coming ahead. Others of us come here and nothing could frankly be further from the truth. Some of us come in here uh, with deep uh, and prolonged problems in our bodies, uh, in our work, in our relationships, in our families. Um, Some of us come in here with great perplexity as to who you are and what you're doing. We don't understand you. We don't understand your ways. And uh, what we do know, frankly, sometimes we don't like And Lord, I recognize uh, further uh, to that point that some of us come in here with a long um, and storied faith in you. Others of us come in here with all sorts of questions, all sorts of doubts, all sorts of even objections. Some of us, no doubt, have come in here even cynical uh, and confident in our position of disbelief. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we come here in joy uh, or dealing with much anxiety, whether we come here Uh, with a strong faith in you, or whether we come here with very little faith at all. I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, uh, we all come here ultimately the same, with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to see you, to know you, to be changed by you. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see how you have met this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome, kids. I want you, I want you to do something for me. I want you to draw the biggest feast you have ever, you could ever imagine. Okay, I want you to draw the biggest feast you could ever imagine of all of your favorite foods. We'll come back to that in a moment. As the kids are doing that, I want to ask the rest of you a question, and that's this. Uh, if, If you're If you're like me in the way that the rhythms of the year go, for me, our family always takes vacation the last two weeks leading up to Labor Day. Um, We do that because we get a discount where we go. 
It's really for no other reason. And um, uh, I love that rhythm, except that uh, I sort of have to drag myself back every year. I feel like uh, when I look at the month of September, I look at a wall that needs to be climbed, and every year it gets a little taller, right? And it's overwhelming. And I wonder if any of you are here and you feel overwhelmed this morning by the September that's ahead. And for you, maybe it's not September, maybe it's been a season that you're in longer. I wonder how many of you uh, are in that place today. Some of you aren't awesome. You can just you know, browse Instagram or something. You don't have to listen to this today. Uh, but those of you who are overwhelmed or maybe have been in the past, I want to invite you to come along with me. And what I want you to do is, in your mind, on a piece of paper, on your smartphone, I want you to write down for you one thing that God might do this season that would constitute a breakthrough in your circumstances. Right? One thing I want you to think about that for you, whatever, whatever your circumstance is, whatever your situation is, what would constitute a breakthrough? Now, for those kids that may not be familiar with this language of breakthrough, I want to I tell you what a breakthrough is. Okay, so um, of the talents I may have in life, uh, one of them is not construction. Okay, one of them, of whatever talents I may have, you know, computer hacking skills, nunchuck skills, what I really do, by the way, um, of all of those talents, one of them is not construction. And I tell you, of all, the Lord has given Ironworks this wonderful facility uh, that we have, and we don't have a lot of money, we don't have a lot of staff, and so as the pastor, I find myself at, at Laura's command, you know, doing construction, okay? And, and the kind of construction that, that most of you probably do not do in your houses, right, but we do here at the church, is we have to work with metal, okay? And so when you drill through metal, right, this big I-beam, when you try to work through metal, I mean, it's, it's a whole different ballgame, than you know, working on a residential house that was made in 1897. Much different than when I'm at home, right? And when you're drilling through something hard and you're working and you're working and you're working and it's, you know, the drill is heating up and it's turning bright red and then all of a sudden it goes through what, what felt like no progress at all, all of a sudden when you finally puncture the other side of that uh, I-beam and you, you push all the way through and the drill hits the back and you're like, well, I've, I've had a breakthrough. Right? It's, you, you feel like progress is slow, and then all of a sudden, it feels like, bam, I just, I just finished the entire thing there. That's called a breakthrough. Right? And I wonder, what does a breakthrough look like for you this fall? What does it look like? What, what might we ask of God to do? that would not simply give you a little boost, but would change the very fabric of your circumstances. I wonder what that might be. Hopefully you have it in your mind. Okay, well, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning as we bring up this topic of fasting. Now, churches are known, sadly, for gimmicks, right? So I read of a church uh, that was so, so desperate to get people to church, um, and I, I give them a lot of points for creativity, but they decided that they were going to do a big mailer, and they said, you know, if you come to church, you might win a car. 
So I'm just going to tell you that Ironworks has pulled our PAC money, and we have a new Tesla Model 3 that... No, just kidding. Not giving that away. <laughs> um, but, you know, churches are known for gimmicks of, you know, what can we do to really help people in their lives? Or what can we do to bring people in? And at Ironworks, what we've decided to do this year is we thought, you know, people are struggling, people have needs, people are, are in need of breakthroughs. I'm, uh, several of you I'm praying for, for a breakthrough in your circumstances. What might we do? And I, we thought, I know what we'll do. We'll ask people to starve themselves. Right? And the church will explode like never before, and we'll be on CNN and not you know, the other guys down in Texas who are making waves. Right? That's our strategy. We're saying, you, you have a hard circumstance, you have a hard situation, you've got trials, you've got things going on. I know what you need. You need to go starve yourselves. This is great. This is, this, this is how you're going to move forward. Well, some of you are smiling. Uh, others of you aren't, right? But it raises the question... Why in the world would you, in the midst of what, for most of you, is a very busy season, for most of you is a season where you need energy, you need strength, you need resources, right? You're overwhelmed by your schedule. Why would you, in the midst of that season, voluntarily choose to starve yourself, right? Why would you do that? Well, one reason that the ancient um, philosophers uh, might give to that, so... Uh, folks such as Plato and Socrates, they would voluntarily fast for seven to ten days in order to gain physical and mental efficiency. Pythagoras fasted 40 days before his examination at Alexandria and required his students to fast before entering classes. thought that was interesting. Right? So there actually are all sorts of reasons people do voluntarily choose to starve themselves. There are some diets that say, you know, intermittent fasting is the way to go. It's the way to, to do it. Others said, you know, mental capacity is increased by this kind of practice. I want to just tell you all off the bat, I know nothing about those things. Okay? I am not a dietitian. Do not come to me for dietary advice. Okay? Bad idea. Right? I don't know anything about that. However, what I have been learning are reasons that God gives us in the Scripture for why we might choose to participate in this ancient practice called fasting as a part of our desire to see a breakthrough happen in our lives, in our families, in our situations. There's an ancient practice called fasting whereby men and women, just like you, kids as well, would choose to voluntarily starve themselves in pursuit of a breakthrough. And I want to try to explain that to you uh, this morning a little bit from the scriptures um, and help answer some questions. So kids, what I want you to do now is you've drawn your feast. Who has a good feast? Right? What, 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 what's the main food you have on there? You have Japanese ramen? Love it. All right. Well, what I want you to do now is draw yourself standing next to the feast, not eating it, okay? Draw yourself standing next to the feast, not eating it. So now, um, we're going to talk about uh, why is it uh, that men and women of old chose to participate uh, in a fast of sorts as a pursuit of a breakthrough in their lives. And uh, the main answer that's given in the scriptures is, is this language of what uh, folks would call seeking God's face. 
right? So for example, David will say in Psalm 27, I seek your face, O Lord. And what's being captured by that uh, imagery is this, that when God decided to make you, right, and the scripture says that he knit you together in your mother's womb, that he was checking out the molecules that would consist of your body in the depths of the earth, that's Psalm 139, you can go read about it. When he was creating you, when he was making you, when he's forming man and woman out of the dust of the, of the ground, he did so, so that you might relate to him very closely, right? So we see a little bit of a picture of this, Adam and Eve, right? They used to just walk, they just have walks with God, right? We talk about walking with God. Well, they would do that literally. In the cool of the evening, right, at golden hour, they would go on a walk with God and they would just talk with him very freely, right? With no barriers, as it were. But you and I, if you, what we find, right, what we find is that we can go through large sections of our day, large sections even of our month, sometimes large sections even of a decade, and have very little connection to God whatsoever. We can go, some of us can go days or weeks or months even without, without any kind of real significant um, enjoyment of God in prayer or in reading the scriptures or in worship. And you say, Darren, how do you know this? Well, I'll tell you how we know it. Because uh, the church staff actually contra contracted a third party uh, to come in and to do kind of a study of sorts of where people are at and what they think and what they're you know, grappling with. And we learned some amazing things that were incredibly encouraging that we're going to share with you uh, at our church uh, congregational meeting coming up at the end of the month. God is doing some incredible things here in and through you and things that I am deeply encouraged by, deeply proud of, deeply thankful for. However, there was one thing uh, that sort of rose to the surface that uh, has concerned me very deeply pastorally, and that's this, right? Uh, many of you are not enjoying the Lord in the day to the day. You're not feeling his presence. Uh, you're, you're serving, you're, you're going through motions, you're doing all sorts of things, but many of you are not thriving, we might say, in the enjoyment of our God. And our catechism says man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so uh, as I hear that, and I think about that, it occurs to me that what uh, we're experiencing, and I, I lock myself into this as well, right, that we are experiencing the most profound spiritual dysfunction that exists, right? The most profound spiritual dysfunction that exists is to have someone created by God for a deep and a real and a uh, wonderful relationship with him, and then to have a period of time where we feel so distant, where prayer is so hard, where reading the scripture is uh, very empty, and yet we know in our minds that those things shouldn't be right? That's a dysfunction. And when we feel that, and when we read in our Bibles that, you know, God created the man and the woman from the dust of the ground to communicate with him, to go on walks together, to know him very closely, to pour out their hearts in prayer, to uh, eagerly yearn to read the scriptures. And we find in our own experience, you and I, right, when we find that that's very different from what we're feeling, that ought to tell us that that's a dysfunction that exists. And how do we remedy that? What do we do in response to that? Well, 
What men and women did in response to that in the scriptures is they would uh, seek God's face. And one of the ways they would do that is they would do that through fasting, right? How do we know that? Well, look in the passage with me, if you would. This is what's happening. The Pharisees are, we're in the early part of Mark's gospel, which we're going to be spending some time in uh, over the next several months. And uh, the Pharisees are the group of people who held religious authority, religious position at the time of Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes, and as he begins to preach and teach and get around town, he begins to instantly create enemies. He still has enemies, by the way, today, right, all over the place. And as he's doing that, these folks are beginning to question him. They're saying, you know, you're not like us. Your disciples are not like our disciples. You're doing things differently. You know, and and we fast regularly, but you and your disciples don't. Why is that? I mean, certainly, if you were a teacher worth his salt, you would be requiring a more rigorous fasting than, than us. You would, be, you would be beating us out in the fasting department, you know, three to one. But instead, your disciples aren't fasting at all. What's going on with this? And why did I choose this as a passage to recommend you join us next week? Right? Why would I do that? Well, what does Jesus say to them? This, I think, gets at uh, sort of the meaning of the fast. And Jesus says this. He says uh, in verse 19, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Do you hear what he's saying? The essence of fasting is a response to the distance of the bridegroom, right? Why, why aren't they fasting? Well, well, duh, because I'm right here face to face. Like we are actually talking right now. We're enjoying each other's company. We are communing at a very deep level. And so why in the world would we fast? Meaning the fast is given to us as a means to seek God precisely when he feels distant. Precisely when that dysfunction is rearing its head at unprecedented levels. And that's what Jesus says. He says, look, they're not fasting because we're together. We're, you know, the bridegroom is here. It's time for the celebration. The caterers are ready. They're coming out, right? They're about to serve the meal. So why in the world, they would be rude to fast in that case. But one day the bridegroom will be taken. And in that day, those who know me will choose to fast, right? Why? Well, the answer, of course, is that God has instituted this as a means by which men, women, and children seek God's face precisely when he feels distant. It's what uh, happened all throughout the Old Testament, right? So, for example, um, you know, Moses, as he's about to receive uh, the Ten Commandments, he fasts. Uh, David, as he is praying uh, for a breakthrough in his own life, namely, uh, his uh, little son, who was uh, told was going to die, David fasts on his behalf. Uh, the prophetess Anna, uh, in the second chapter of Luke, she is waiting for the Messiah, and she is fasting and praying and worshiping regularly. And then Jesus, even in his own temptation, as he's, as he's primarily in the company of Satan, right, what does he do? Well, he chooses to fast, right? He says, I'm going to fast 
to seek nearness with my God as I'm in the midst of this situation. And then uh, fast forward all the way to the New Testament. Uh, In the church, in Acts 13, church doesn't know what to do. They don't know where to go next. They don't know who's going to go, where next. They're trying to figure out this next season. And the church together decides to fast in order to seek the face of the Lord for what's coming next. And in the midst of their fasting and worshiping, the the Lord answers their question. He says, uh, set apart these two men and send them here uh, because that is what I am doing. And I want to tell you, friends, that I have a couple examples of this uh, that I want to share with you. Uh, The first concerns someone uh, that I was ministering to very early on in the life of the church. Most of you, you know, most of you would not know who this is, so I think it's okay to share. But I, I was young, young pastor, younger pastor, and I was trying so hard to minister to this guy. I mean, I was given it everything I had because I wanted to see him really thrive as a disciple of Christ. And we were, you know, I was spending time with them. We were going on walks. I was, you know, uh, had them over the house all the time, trying as hard as I knew what to do to try to uh, help him grow and to become a disciple of Christ. And it just, nothing I did seemed to work, right? I would try everything and nothing I did seemed to work. It was always so discouraging. Every time there was, um, there was just some new kind of drama going on, and it was never really any growth, and nothing was going on. And finally, it got to the point where I said, I'm just going to pray and fast for this guy because, you know, I'm at my wit's end, and I don't know what to do. So one day, it wasn't even that long, one day, I decided to pray and fast for this guy. I was so discouraged. And then we go on a walk, and he says, Darren, I need to tell you something. I've been lying to you for the last six months, Right? What was that breakthrough? We made more progress in that walk than we had had in the entire six months prior. Because what happened? God moved in his life in a powerful way, and we had a breakthrough. Right? And I've had uh, others of these um, happen as well. I had a season in my life that was particularly hard, particularly discouraging, particularly troublesome, and I was kind of at my own wit's end. And then I had a very close friend who I was sharing with, say to me, you know what, Darren, I'm going to fast for you tomorrow. And it was a week later, uh, after he did that, that we had a breakthrough in my circumstance, in my situation, that to this day uh, has borne fruit and has changed. Right? So those are, you know, those are some examples. Now, I do want to say that fasting should never be looked at as sort of like a magic tool that you just sort of pull out of your hat, and it's the genie that you get to ask whatever you want. How do we know that? Well, David prayed and fasted for his son, right? The first son that he had with Bathsheba uh, in adultery to be saved. What happened? The child died, right? The child was not saved. Uh, David's prayers were not uh, granted in the way that he asked them, right? And certainly some of you, you know, you may be praying and fasting for what you believe is a breakthrough in your circumstance, and you may find that it has not happened or it just has not happened yet, And you need to be prepared for that because this is not a magic tool that you sort of pull out and use as a genie at your wish, right? God's arm is never twisted by man. However, we do see that in the scriptures, in my own experience, and you know, the ironwork session, by the way, you know, we have these times that we would call fuel, which is an acronym I totally don't remember, (laughs) but the first letter is fasting. (laughs) And... um, And we would bring some very, like, 
three to five things before the Lord in a time of very focused prayer and fasting. And more times than not, the Lord would hear our prayers and the church would be built up and move forward, right? And um, so while fasting is not some kind of magic tool, some uh, genie that you pull out and you rub to get whatever you want, right? That, God does not work that way, let me assure you. Nonetheless, we do find in experience and in Scripture that men and women have for a very long time sought the face of the Lord through prayer and through fasting, and often God works and moves powerfully in response to those things, right? So I have another drawing for the kids. Uh, Kids, what I want you to do do is draw yourself on a treasure hunt. Anyone like treasure hunts? Right? You like treasure hunts? Yeah. Uh, draw yourself on a treasure hunt for whatever you consider to be treasure. Maybe you could draw a treasure map as well, because that's ultimately what we're seeking here, right? We're ultimately seeking the presence of the Lord, which is said in Holy Scripture to be that for which you long the most, right? Whether you know it or not, whatever you've written down as your breakthrough, what you long for the most is not actually that breakthrough. It's what is on the other side of that breakthrough, right? And what you long for the most, though, is ultimately the very presence of God himself. So Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 63, verses 5 and 6, the author says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed, when I meditate on you in the watches of the night. And my favorite one uh, is Jesus talking to a woman who had had uh, five husbands, was living with a man to whom she was not married. She was racially outcast. She was outcast from a gender perspective. People were horrified that he was even talking to her. Uh, woman of Samaria, and this is what he says as she is uh, there standing at this well. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And friends, I hope that you hear in Jesus' words to this woman, he's saying, look, you are searching for satisfaction. Everyone is. There's nothing wrong with that. Every one of you, and I can say on full authority, every one of you longs to be satisfied. You long for something rich and deep and pleasant, and that's normal. Nothing to be ashamed of there. But what Jesus said to this woman, he says to you this morning, which is this, Don't look for it in the wrong place, right? Don't look for it in the wrong place. Here's this person, and and, you know, your heart goes out to her, right? If you you know, your heart goes out to her. She's saying, if I could just find the right person, then it would be all good. And she just tries person after person after person, and no doubt had suffered all sorts of loss and all sorts of heartache and all sorts of who knows what in the midst of that. And Jesus looks her right in the eyes, and he says, sister, daughter, What you are longing for is what only I can give you. What what you're longing for is not just a drink of water, but is a source of unending water that wells up to eternal life. And that's the message of the Scriptures. And when we go through life and we find that we experience 
something different than that, when we experience depression, when we experience heartache, when we experience loss, when we experience anxiety, when we experience stress, when we find that our circumstances are so overwhelming and we're not having the breakthroughs that we long for, what the fast does for us is it reorients us, it brings us back to the source of all joy, of all sort of satisfaction, clears away the distractions, and we have the privilege of coming to the ear of Almighty God himself. I want to read you a quote I thought was uh, helpful to this. This is a guy named, I'm not going to say his last name right, Lorenzo Albacet, I think. He says this, Our hearts desire infinite happiness, infinite satisfaction, and freedom is the capacity for infinity. I am free each time I walk along the path that moves me to infinity. If I choose to act in a particular way that separates me from my infinite destiny, I lose something of my freedom and move closer to, the, to that abyss of not being free. That is of, quote, not being able to love anymore. I can be rescued only when the attraction of infinity wins over what is attracted me away from it. This is the redemption of my freedom. I thought that was helpful. And so men and women of old chose to seek the face of the Lord through the fast, uh, particularly in times uh, that were in need of a breakthrough. So why does it work? If it's not twisting God's arm, if it's not a genie that we rub, why does it work? And the scripture will give us a couple answers to that. The first reason that we see in scripture, and the one that's most commonly associated with the fast, is the language of humbling yourself. Right? The scripture will say that humble yourself. Right? Take on the position of someone who is humble in spirit and therefore go without food. And, and in that day, of course, um, a little bit different than our day, perhaps in America, you know, the humble in that day were known as the people that you know, probably would miss a fair number of meals because there was nothing. Right? And uh, folks would humble themselves with fasting. As, uh, for example, in Psalm 35, 13, he says, I humbled myself with fasting, and uh, my prayer would return <laughs> to my own heart. And the principle we see is this, that the greatest force in the world that will keep you from enjoying God, you know what it is? The greatest force in the world that will keep you from enjoying God is actually not Satan himself, Right? not even your sin, I would argue. The greatest force that will keep you from the presence of God is pride, right? How do we know that? James chapter 4, God opposes the proud, right? You learn in physics what an opposing force is, right? There's a force exerted on an object. There's an equal and opposite force in response to that force. Well, what is the force when Almighty God says to you, looks you in the eye and says, I'm opposed to you right now, what, that force cannot be quantified. But the Scriptures tells us that God is opposed to the proud. Right? And when you're sitting there saying like, I was justified in acting this way, I'm justified in doing this, I deserve this, I deserve the other thing, and you're sitting there in your pride, God is opposed to you. So yes, he's going to feel really distant. Yes, it's not going to feel good. Yes, you're going to need a breakthrough, right? Fasting is, is an attempt to make war on your own pride by taking upon yourself the very form of humility, the very form that says, you know what, I am weak. 
What I need right now is I need God to show up and to be gracious to me. That's the first thing, right? Fasting is a statement that is directly opposing pride, right? Um, The second thing that fasting does that I think is particularly helpful is fasting is intended to clear away distractions, right? So one of the reasons that you may not be enjoying God in this season, right, is that you may be distracted. So one of our traditions when we go on vacation is one that I I do question a little bit. Sorry, honey. Um, (laughs) One of our traditions when we go on vacation is that Chrissy goes to BJ's and she buys the most massive tub of candy that you could imagine. We don't normally have candy in the house, but on vacation for two weeks, we have this massive like bag of, of airheads and all sorts of things that are, you know, and I am a weak man, okay, <laughs> in all sorts of ways. And so the first few days, she forgot to hide them and, and ration them. And so she just comes to this like pile of wrappers, <laughs> you know. And I will tell you that uh, when, when you gorge yourself on airheads, right, those of you who have not experienced this, right, it's pleasurable for the first 10, <laughs> okay? And then after that, it's, it's sort of like the cost becomes demanded and you crash and your head hurts and then you're not hungry for dinner, right? And then dinner's over and then all of a sudden, you know, you finally, you take like seven ibuprofen and you're like, okay, I want to eat now, but there is no dinner now because it's all over, right? What's happening, right? Well, I'm trying to satisfy my desire with things that look like they satisfy but in the end, they don't. They just provide a brief sugar rush, right? So I'm so happy to be back from vacation where all the candy is gone. Um, it feels great, right? And in the same way, friends, uh, we have distractions in our lives. Maybe they're pleasures, maybe they're responsibilities, maybe they're things we're worried about. We have all sorts of distractions in our lives that we believe are the most pressing and important things for us. And when we fast, right, what we're doing is we're saying, God, take away the distractions, right? Honey, put the airheads away. Get them, get them out of the cabin. Get them, you know, give them to someone else. When we fast, we make war on the distractions that hinder us from seeing and experiencing the work of God, right? So in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, the author would say this. He would say, cast away everything that entangles you as you're running the race, Right? Don't become entangled. Don't become weighed down. Don't become distracted. And friends, I will tell you that uh, when your mind is always going to other things, right? when your mind is so occupied by uh, whether they be uh, good things or whether they simply be responsibilities or worries or dreams or desires, those are all fine. But when they start to be the only things that you think about, guess what you won't have time or desire for? that which you actually truly need, the water of life. And so fasting is uh, an opportunity to set aside the distractions and to focus on God himself. And so friends, I want to invite you to join me in doing that next week. Uh, I want to invite you to ask for uh, an abundance of God's blessing upon our church this year. And as you do that, as you think about what it is you want for next year, for this season to come, I want to invite you, as you pray and as you fast, and we're going to have a guide that will help you with this, I want to invite you to even ask this question, what are the distractions 
What are these things that are in my life, in my rhythm, that are holding me back from enjoying God very deeply? Right? What, are these, what are these patterns? What are these distractions? What are these things that are holding me back from enjoying God very deeply? You know, I heard a story of someone who was saying, you know, I really, I, I, I've been a Christian, I love God, but I really don't like going to church. You know, it's just I don't, it's hard for me. I'm late every Sunday. You know, I barely make it there and I don't enjoy it. I'm like half asleep. And come to find out, you know, the person was partying at clubs until like three in the morning on Sunday morning, right? And was coming hungover, you know, like an hour late. And we're saying like, you know, not for nothing, but, you know, maybe you might do that on Friday and, you know, leave Saturday open, right? I mean, but in all seriousness, right, this pattern of life was preventing him from even hearing God on Sunday mornings. And so we said, you know, why don't you change your pattern? You know, that's an extreme example. A less extreme example in our family, when we had small kids, you know, Sunday mornings with small kids was so hard, right? We never knew where the underwear was, okay? We never knew. It was always a big mystery. It's still a mystery to me today. I don't even know where it comes from, right? And so kids would be running around, ah, I don't have an underwear. We would be, you know, trying to get them dressed. We'd be late every Sunday. Until finally we said, you know what? We're going to find all the clothes on Saturday night. We're going to set them out in nice piles, and they're going to get dressed on their own. And when we made that change for that season, we don't still do that, but when we made that change for that season, we were able to come to church refreshed. We were able to come without the distraction of having just yelled at the kids for like 30 minutes. Right? That is a distraction, just so you know. Right? came to church without that distraction, and all of a sudden, guess what? We're able to commune with the Lord, experience His presence, um, come to His table, drink deeply of the Scriptures in ways that we weren't previously able to do. So I want to invite you to join with uh, us in this time of prayer and fasting next week. Uh, It's going to be a powerful time, I believe, Uh, and I want to tell you that I have been praying for you, praying that you would become discontent Uh, with any parts of your life that are not enjoying God deeply. And I pray that that discontent would lead you uh, to seek him powerfully. And we're going to turn to the table. And uh, as we turn to the table, uh, what we find is this, right? As, As you and I are interested in seeking the face of God, in this table we see that Jesus Christ decided to seek your face Right? As Jesus says to his disciples, I came to seek and save that was lost. The Lord Jesus, his very mission was to seek and to save you. And you know, he did fast in order to do that, right? in order to make it. He did fast, but he didn't stop there. He didn't simply give up food and water. But he gave up his very life so that you could be in his presence, so that your sin, so that your weakness would have no effect that it would all be nullified, and that's what we call the gospel. And this table is where we come uh, and we get a foretaste of the feast that is awaiting us, the feast of heaven that's going to be greater even than what the kids drew, where we are going to feast with our Savior, where our sin will no longer be something that we contend with. There will, there will be no more death and sorrow and pain and dysfunction, but we will be in his presence forever and ever in the fullness of joy. And I hope that this table draws you in and whets your appetite for that. Let's pray together.